Hello, this is Dan Moynihan with another edition of Christian Deep Dive. Today, we're going to go into a subject that I think should excite everybody, and it's roughly an idea about heaven. We're going to talk about heaven, and who doesn't want to talk about heaven? Uh, us Christians that we know we are going there, and that's not an arrogant statement. Uh, I want to explain why I say that. If you're a Christian, you should fully look forward to going to heaven. In fact, the vision of that the thought of that should be what really helps get you through a lot of things in this life. Let's turn our attention to the Apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 18. He says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So you read that line and you can see that he, he's praying that we would know and understand the hope that we have, the hope of us calling the riches of the glory of our inheritance of what we're going to be receiving from the Lord in this life and in the life to come. Now, this is something that uh, I think is exciting. I think it's something we should get excited about. Um, I, I think what's happening here is, is Paul is praying, again, that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened so that we would know the character of the inheritance which we're going to get. So this is the same thing that Paul said in his first epistle to the Corinthians. He said, I has not seen, nor has heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. And that's in 1 Corinthians 2.9. The apostle is praying, I think, that we may come to see more and more what lies ahead of us and that we would have more frequent glimpses of it during our lifetime. I don't think he wants heaven to be something remote and strange to us. His desire is that we would not only look at our title deeds and specifications, but by faith we would have an occasional glimpse of that inheritance himself. And I think I think it's important for us to do that. I really do, especially in this in this world that we live in. Now, a lot of people will disagree with that. In fact, historically, as I study things through time, um, people have said, you know, why should we consider this? Indeed, is, is this the right thing? Should we be concentrating on this? There's many people who have said historically that this is, uh, this is your pie-in-the-sky Christianity. Here we are in this troubled world where we've already had two world wars and we're on the cusp of another one, possibly. With all the things going on, you spend your time trying to glimpse into eternity and life after death. No, you should be urging people to protest against the manufacture of armaments and bombs and things like that. Uh, what you're doing is useless. <coughs> well, I, I disagree with that. And I'll, I'll, I'll get to the reasons why in a minute. Um, because really, you think about it, uh, and, and I've, I've met people in the church that hold the same view. They say, well, let's not talk about heaven or hell. Let's talk about what we need to do today in Christianity, what we need to be. And of course, we have to do that. That's important. But I think the Apostle Paul is the one I will go to for reference here. Because in this scripture, it's he that is saying that he's praying that we would know the hope of his calling and the riches of glory of inheritance of the saints. Paul is saying we should be thinking about these things. And I think apart from the Apostle's own words, uh, you know, to criticize the other worldly view I've just said, uh, that goes beyond doubt to me that he's, he's doing that. He, he's saying that we need to be able to do this. Um, he's saying we need to be able to see the unseen. We need to be able to, at least by faith, be looking at it. Think about the, uh, in the book of Hebrews, 
chapter 11, the famous uh, Hall of Fame faith, of faith, as I call it, some of the greatest people in the world and what they, how they stand out in our history. All these people who died horrible deaths, who lived for the Lord, fixed their eyes not so much on this world as the next. That doesn't mean they ignored this world. They weren't monks or aesthetics living in monasteries or deserts. No, they were in the world, but they were not of it. But they were heroes of the faith, as chapter 11 says. And I think it is a great model for us. Um, recently, I've been studying about the things about John Calvin. And as I read about him, no man was more concerned about decent, proper living in this world than him. He inspired many people in Geneva and, and became very much uh, someone who pushed the idea of democracy in his time. Um, some of the great evangelical awakenings of the 18th century uh, helped do this and do that and helped stop the French Revolution, helped create trade unions. Uh, I could go on and on what Christians have done in the world and yet all the while being fixed on what's to come because when you think about it, what were we born for? This world is just a boot camp to get to the next one. It's it's a world where we come into and we try to find the Lord. We find him as Savior. And once we recognize his ultimate purpose, we want to live for that. And that includes living forever with him and to be concentrating on him. Let's face it, saints. We don't understand time. Time is a concept we can understand. We're living in time. But our time on this earth compared to eternity is like a speck of sand in the Sahara Desert. So why do we focus so much attention on this life, on this speck of sand, when we have a whole eternity to be thinking about? So to be prepared for eternity, to me, is the most important that we can do. And so you start to realize his scripture, meditating on the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. I think it's, it's interesting to know that uh, one of the things that will do for us is bring us comfort. It brings me comfort to think about it. I hope it does for you. Because what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And just think about that right there. We have all these things we're going through, but as we think about what's coming and what we're going through isn't nearly as bad as what we're going to be having. So the more we think about it, um, and also, I think here's an argument that settles the matter once and for all, what the Lord said himself. The epistle, again, going back to the epistle of the Hebrews, says in his 12th chapter, I think it's the 12th chapter, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we have a race to run, and it requires us to lay aside every weight, every sin that does so easily beset us, looking unto Jesus, the author and what? The finisher of our faith. But the author is careful to add, and we think it's Paul who wrote this, who for the joy that was set before him, and the light of the joy that was set before him, because of the joy that was set before him, he what? He endured the cross, despising the shame. So that was the truth concerning Jesus, our Savior in this world. He didn't think it was a bad thing to not keep his eye on the reward, because he was looking to the joy of the glory that awaited him, he went through it all, even that cruel death on the cross. It helped him to go through it. And in the 17th chapter of John's gospel, he prays that we may have that glory, which he shared with the Father before the foundation of the world. And that, to me, ties exactly to my key text with what Paul is saying about the, no understanding the riches of our inheritance. 
And also Paul talks to the Corinthians and he says, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. And that's in Colossians 3, 2. And, <coughs> excuse me. So as we talk about this and as we get further into it, I think that uh, one of the things we need to consider is this. What is it we were supposed to think about heaven when we think about heaven? I think the Holy Spirit alone can make them clear to us. Um, there's somebody named Richard Baxter. I read a quote. He said, my knowledge of that life is small. The eye of faith is dim. After all, how little do we know about these things? There are many who trouble about this. I've been asked the question many times and I've thought about it myself. Why do we not know more about heaven and the life to where we are going? Why are we not told more about it? Well, the very simple answer to that is, it is that the glory is so marvelous, so wonderful, so perfect, that our human language is incapable of conveying a true idea of it. I wrote a book not too long ago called Dreamscape, where I have a person who uh, lost somebody close to him, went to heaven, and he has dreams at night about what heaven is like and what his grandfather, you know, missing his grandfather, and he has visions of heaven. And as I was writing the book, I realized, Wow, I can't describe heaven. How am, I, how am I supposed to put that in my book? So in his dreams, I paint a picture only of the outside of heaven, the least part of heaven, so to speak. And even that, if we were to see it, if we were to understand it, is more glorious than anything on this earth or anything we can understand. But it's just exciting to think about. It's like that scripture I already read. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things that await us. So I think, you know, the apostle does the best he can. There's a couple places, you know, where he mentions that there's a couple things in scriptures we can talk about right now. The apostle speaks of the riches of the glory, and, and there's nothing greater than glory. It's hard to have come up with a word that is greater than glory. But heaven is infinitely more wonderful than you and I can ever imagine it to be. It's beyond the reach of any category we can come up with. Jesus himself said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may also be. John 14, 1 to 3. That should be enough for us to be with him. All the other things we're going to see, the mansions, the castles, the rolling fields, the wonderful forest, the waterfalls, that's all fringe benefits, side benefits, as great as that is. Paul's view of death was this. He was no longer worried about death because death to him meant to be with Christ, which he said was far better. And think about this. Think about being in a glorified body where you're no longer tempted. As much as you fervently want to follow the Lord, we still get dragged down by these temptations, by this body we're in that wants this, that wants that. And to be free of that, to me, is one of the greatest things of heaven that we're going to have. Our Lord also said in his priestly prayer of John 17, he said, Father, I will that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. And that's on John 17, 24. His greatest prayer for us was that we would see him as he is and in his glory. There is nothing beyond that. So John again in his first epistle writes also, it does not appear yet what we shall be, but we will know that when he shall appear, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And further, Philippians 3.21 says, 
He will change this body of our humiliation that will be fashioned like unto his glorious body, the body of his own glorious glorification, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus was given a glimpse of this glory. So it's not surprising since he's the one that wrote Ephesians here. My key text, he talks about the riches of this glory. He was blinded by the risen Lord and it was so glorious that he couldn't see for several days. Um, Paul never forgot it. Well, how could he? But then he also tells us of an occasion in his life 14 years before he even wrote the Ephesians, when he was lifted up into the third heaven, he was caught up into paradise. And he says in 2 Corinthians, while he was there, he heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. It was a sneak preview, if you will, a foretaste of the glory of heaven. He never forgot that also. So it's not surprising, therefore, that he speaks of a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Then in the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, the glory is described in symbolic language. The heavenly language, the, the heavenly city is, is said to be like pure gold, like under clear glass, that there was no temple there because God himself is there. And the Revelation also says there was no sun, no moon, no stars, because the lamb was in the midst of the city's light. The face of Jesus Christ illuminates and irra irradiates all. So you know what does that mean, saints? We shall dwell in his glorious presence. <coughs> there is something of what Paul means by the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, I think. I, I kind of look at that scripture. I just really was thinking about it. It's to be in the heavenly city, which you and I are going to, this inheritance. The apostle Peter, in his own manner, says it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the death, not to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fades away, reserved in heaven for you. So look what Peter is saying here. He's saying it's incorruptible. Again, as I said before, there's nothing sinful there, nothing unworthy. Incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away. We can't conceive of that. You know, every once in a while, I'll buy some flowers for my wife and we'll put them in the vase and how gorgeous they are. But in a couple of days, maybe a week if we're lucky, you look at them and they're totally decayed and we got to throw them in the trash. So in this world, we just have decay and pollution and everything we have. We, as I'm finding out, we're subject to illness, old age, and so on. But there'll be none of that there. There'll be no sorrow, no tears, no sin. No separation from anyone we love. Nothing that makes us unhappy and depresses, depresses us. No, that's the riches of the glory of his inheritance. And so I think it's something, and again, I'm speaking to Christians. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have not received him, if you have not accepted his blood sacrifice for you, that he died for your sins and you get to be forgiven and receive his his perfect innocence because he took your sin upon you then this is i'm not i'm not talking to you right now this is not your inheritance your inheritance is something much more horrible so you need to come to the lord jesus christ but if you are a saint if you are one of god's people you're going to this glory which i'm talking about and i think it's something that again you should be very very happy with so to summarize let me just talk about it comes down to this while we are in this life and in this world, a great process of separation and sifting is going on.
God lays his hand on and he takes all of us who are called to his glory, this inheritance, and we are called saints. The saints are those who have been separated and set apart for God by the Holy Spirit. And as a result, we have believed the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ and him crucified. We trust in him and his perfect work and in that alone. See, that is key. We trust in him and his perfect work and in that alone. So right now, all of us, me talking, all of you listening, at this moment, we're either saints or else we're sinners. Sinners become saints by accepting the blood of Christ and receiving him as your savior. The glory which I'm speaking to, again, is only, only for the saints. It's for them and nothing and no one can rob them of it. Romans 8, 38, 39, again, just one of the greatest scriptures. The book of Romans is just something else. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what that means? If you want Christ, if you want all that he is, if you want everything that he is, if that's the desire of your heart, nothing can take that from you. And you might be troubled and you might be sitting there saying, well, I want to have that desire. I don't have it enough. I don't love the Lord enough. I need to love him more. Ask him for that. Ask him for that grace. Ask him that you want more of him, that you want all that he has. That is a prayer that you can basically be sure that he's going to honor. So what can I tell you? What can I leave you with? Set your affection, your heart's desire on him and upon the things which he has prepared for those who love him. In this world we live in, my goodness, the things that are going on right now. But let us get to know these things. Let us fix our eyes, just like Jesus fixed his eyes on the reward as he went through the suffering he went. Just as the saints in the, in the book of Hebrews, as I mentioned, 11, they, all the things they were going through, they lifted their eyes towards heaven. Even Stephen, when he was being stoned in the book of Acts, as he was going through that, he looked up, he could see a vision of heaven. And I think we can... Is we, we have the scriptures. We have something those people didn't have. We have the scriptures. And as we look at the scriptures, it gives us the ability to fix our eyes on those things as well. And so I, I just think with exceeding joy and with exceeding happiness, we can look towards these things. We can be everything that Christ wants us to be on this earth. And while we're doing it, as we're going through hardships and troubles, fix your eyes on things above. Set your things up in heaven and consider the riches of the glory of inheritance in the saints. God bless you. Until next time, this is Dan Moynihan with Christian Deep Dive.